0: Would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 13 And as you're doing that, I want to take an opportunity here just to acknowledge the incredible staff that God has sent to Gospel City Church. I get to work with these people all through the week, that new administrative wing that uh, we have created is producing more work for the gospel, uh, and we're so grateful. Michelle does such a great job discipling our kids and uh, all the volunteers that serve over 300 of those working with our children. How many of you have children right now that are being discipled by somebody in this building right now. And you are grateful they are not being discipled by you right next to you right now. Yeah, well, we are a team and we um, are so grateful for that. Uh, so grateful for Nick Smith that led us in worship today. Nick and Adara are just wonderful, creative, gifted people that serve us in so many ways. Anything that's artist artistic around here or creative, everything that shows up on the screen, so many of the things that are beautiful around here have Nick's fingerprints, and they are working over time getting ready for next Sunday uh, to prepare prepare for our Christmas services, and so uh, they are going to bless us in that way. Micah is leading worship right now over at our campus in Elkhart. I was there preaching last week. That campus is under the leadership of Pastor Ben Hurt, who is beginning today to preach full-time every week on that campus, no longer two-dimensional me on a screen out there, so they get live in-person pastor out there. You can be praying for them. They need a facility, so uh, they're getting kicked out of the school that we've been renting there. That was a surprise to us. We didn't know we were on a short-term lease. We were on, thought we were on a long-term lease, but uh, the Lord knows where we're, uh, we're going to meet next there, so you'd be praying about that. Excited about Pastor Stephen and the work that uh, he's doing with the core group in downtown South Bend. He's preaching somewhere in Chicago today at a friend's church, so everybody's deployed working hard and uh, so excited about how the gospel is going forth at Gospel City. Uh, t- I don't know about you today, I have never been more excited to go to the bathroom in church uh, than today. Anybody else been to the bathroom in church? You need to go to the bathroom before, before you leave church today, right? Um, new bathrooms right over here on the other side of that wall. Thank you. Thank you. We're seeing the progress and, and uh, your generosity is now showing up in so many tangible ways. New entrances coming in, all in favor of new entrances into the church. As many entrances into the church as possible, right? But listen carefully. The church. That attempts to create more than one entrance into the kingdom of God is not a church. We are in this series, Out of the Crowd into the Kingdom, and there's only one way out of the crowd and into the kingdom, and we're going to find out what that way is in Luke chapter 13 right now. Jesus is going to use an incredibly powerful metaphor to help us understand how to get out of the crowd and into the kingdom. This metaphor is so powerful, it resulted in him being killed. That's how powerful it was. And it was an offensive metaphor, but it was so powerful that it resulted in those of us who are in the kingdom being saved. And so we're going to see that here. As we study, Jesus wants us to know not everybody in the crowd is in the kingdom and uh, Luke is writing this letter to his friend Theo because he wanted to know some things that Jesus did, but more importantly, some things that Jesus said and some of the things that Jesus said were highly offensive. Are you ready for God to offend you today? Is that why you came to church? Did you come to church to get offended? It's like, no, it's not really what I signed up for, right? Listen, if your God never offends you, then you are your own God. Because there are some times that we need to be confronted with some wrong thinking. And we're going to be confronted with some wrong thinking today through this powerful metaphor. It's all about a question that was asked in Luke chapter 13. Let's begin reading in verse 22. He, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. This is an important, powerful statement there. Remember the story here. Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. For 33 years, every year, Jesus would go to Jerusalem for Passover, which is the place that everybody went to worship God. This was Jesus' final journey, and he knew what was going to happen when he got there. He was going to become the Passover lamb. And so he's moving from the northern region of Israel known as Galilee where he, he made his home and his friends and his most of his teaching was done there in the synagogues in Galilee. Most of the miracles we read about were performed around the Sea of Galilee. But we read a few chapters ago he's now moving through towns and villages where he will eventually land in Jerusalem and nothing's going to distract him from that and as he's moving the crowds are increasing but Jesus is not increasing the number of people in the crowds Jesus is interested in increasing the number of people in the kingdom and there's only one way to get out of the crowd and into the kingdom so apparently his teaching invoked a question which we find in verse 23 Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? It's one of the most important doctrinal questions that could ever be asked. It is a question that must be grappled with with everyone who is concerned about entering the kingdom of God. Anyone who is interested in escaping eternal judgment in hell needs to grapple with the answer to this question. Are those who are saved few? What do you think the answer is? How would you answer that question? Do you believe that the number of people who will be in heaven are greater than the number of people who will be in hell? Do you believe that that's a large number or a small number? Few or many? Now, the way that Jesus answers the question Doesn't help us quantify the number. Because Jesus is much more interested in teaching you how to be saved than he is in answering the question, how many will be saved? But how many people do you know who are saved? Is that a large number? How many people in your neighborhood do you think are actually saved? Really, the best question is, are you saved? That's the question. We've got to grapple with the answer. What, first of all, what does it even mean to be saved? What, saved from what? And the answer is saved from a holy God who will exercise his just wrath on sin. Now, are you interested in the answer to that question? You should be. Some would ask the question this way. Will all be saved? There's a lot of people that would say, you know, you, come on. God is so gracious and so loving and so kind. He would never allow anyone to suffer eternally in a place that's described as people gnashing their teeth in a lake of fire. Come on. Do you, do you God... All people will eventually be saved, right? It's not what Jesus is about to teach. Other people would say, well, will anyone be saved? Does anybody even need to be saved? A lot of secularists would say, nobody's going to be saved. Because nobody needs to be saved. There's no God, there's no judgment, there's no sin, there's no salvation, so nobody's gonna be saved. That's a mythical concept that people created to try to keep people from acting out and and being good. And some people would say, well, nobody's gonna be saved. Well, the scripture teaches that everyone needs to be saved. And the scripture teaches us there's only one way to be saved. That's what Jesus is about to teach us. I want you to see it here in verse 24. He said to them, strive. Do you see the word strive there? The Greek word that's used there is is a word that we get our word agonize from. This is a painful, agonizing Thing to contemplate. And Jesus commands you to agonize over the answer to this question. How do you get saved? Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, do you see the contrast? Few, many, many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So Jesus describes a door out of the crowd into the kingdom. He describes that door as a narrow door. Not everybody fits through it. He describes the door as an exclusive door, just one. And Jesus says, if you want to be saved, you must agonize over choosing the right door. And many people are going to be deceived by a lot of different doors. Listen, there are many doors to choose from. Am I the only one old enough to remember Monty Hall? Do you remember Monty Hall? What was the game show? Let's make a deal, right? And he always had these three doors at the end of the show. And, and you know, behind two of them was a goat, you know, and behind another one was, a, you know, a, a Yugo or a car or something. I don't know, something valuable in this day. And, and you always had to make a choice. Well, Jesus is not interested in making deals with you about which door will lead to salvation. There's just one door. Every other door the world will offer you has a goat behind it. That's why you need to agonize over the door that you choose. Now, the doors, on, on, the doors that you have to choose from have a lot of different labels on them. Now listen, everybody, whether you are saved, whether you are a Christian, whether you're an agnostic, whether you're an atheist, deep down on the inside, every one of us has a desire to be saved, okay? We, we have a desire to be saved from our loneliness, We have a desire to be saved from our depression. We have a desire to be saved from our boredom. We have a desire to be saved from our poverty. And so the world will offer you a lot of different doors that offer hope of salvation. So if you want to be Saved from your poverty, there's the door of money, or there's the door of career. If you want to be saved from your stupidity, there's the door of education. If you want to be saved from the door of your depression, then there's there's entertainment and there's there's you know comedians and there's movies and music and there, there's all kinds of different doors. But those of you that have walked through some of those doors know. There's really nothing on the other side that ultimately gives you the security, the significance, and the satisfaction you're longing for. That's because deep down on the inside, what you need to be saved from is not your boredom. It's your sin. And your sin needs a savior. And Jesus presents himself as this narrow door. Now, why is it narrow? Well, One of the reasons, we, just very simply, is like, because you're gonna go through one at a time, right? You're not gonna go through it as a crowd. Some of you have been part of a Christian community. Some of you were born in a Christian nation. Some of you were part of a Christian family. And you just think, hey, we just kind of all go through together. No, it's a narrow door. That metaphor creates a sense of urgency, immediacy, and decision. You have to choose to enter through the narrow door. But you know what? Few people believe that that door is narrow. We don't want to believe that because it makes us sound really bigoted. It makes us sound like we're superior. If we believe that we have the only door that can save, it kind of is an indictment upon people that choose other doors to try to save them. But notice, Jesus is direct, Jesus is clear, and he is unapologetic about there only being one door that can save. This is the story that Jesus is telling. God has taken the initiative to open a door that gives access to his kingdom and on the other side of that door is everything you were created to experience until you step through the door you will be bored you will be lonely you will be depressed and you will be dissatisfied with every other savior you turn to everything you were created to experience is on the other side of that door not the least of which is forgiveness of sin, security in Christ, the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. It only is accessible through the narrow door that is Jesus. But few people want to believe that. People, you know, it's like, ah, I kind of have my own thing with God. Ah, I kind of made... My, my own, I made a deal with Jesus. I chose door number three. I know he's like, I know the rest of you think it's door number, four. I got this other door over here, none of you know. Listen, that, that's the default understanding of the human heart is we, we want to customize and tailor our way to God. And Jesus says, no, one door, narrow door, exclusive door, good news, open door. It is open for all who will believe. And yet, the world wants us to synchronize all these different exclusive claims. I mean, it, we, we do have a claim that Christ exclusively is the door that leads to the kingdom. So, how do we reconcile that? Because the, the world really wants us to be much broader. They want to make that door much broader. And they they, they want to tell us listen, all doors lead to God. And as long as you're sincere. You know, whatever you believe eventually will lead to God. We, you, you, have to, you have to believe that you, you're, Jesus is a, is a good way, but he's not the only way. That, that's what they would require of us. Otherwise, they, they accuse us of being bigoted. The other thing that they want us to do is they want us to agree that, that, you know, you can make exclusive claims about your religion as long as you keep them in the four walls of the church. If you start talking about Jesus being the only way outside the walls of the church, then do you know what happens? The world ends up excluding us and ridiculing us and marginalizing us. It's like, you can't make that claim. And they're doing to us the very thing they're accusing us of doing to them. G.K. Chesterton said this. He says, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing they believe in anything. Whatever you wanna believe is just fine. You just can't require anybody else to believe it. Well, as followers of Jesus, we have to be as narrow, but only as narrow as Jesus is. And Jesus tells us that we must enter through the narrow door. Look at verse 25, it gets even more serious. He says, when once the master of the house has risen, he's continuing to use the, the analogy, the metaphor of a house and a door, and there's a master in the house. And notice, the master of the house has risen and shut the door. Notice, Jesus is, is calling our attention to the fact that that door will not always remain open, and the door will be eventually shut from the inside. That provokes a response from the people. It says, and, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord. Interestingly, the people on the outside call him Lord. Open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate. Remember we ate. Remember we had a hamburger together. We drank. Do you Remember how fun we were having? And, and, and we did that in your presence. Don't you remember us, don't you? We hung out. And you taught us in the streets. We took notes. We really thought your teaching was excellent. You're an excellent teacher. We, we want to hear more of your teaching. Remember, we learned a lot of good things from you. But, verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. And all you workers of evil. Interesting, isn't it? They call him Lord. He calls them workers of evil. Not everybody in the crowd is in the kingdom. Not everybody that calls Jesus Lord has made their way through the door. Not everybody that's familiar with the teachings of Jesus has actually believed the teachings of Jesus. This is serious stuff. As a people that follow Jesus, we can make the door no wider than it actually is. No one will enter the kingdom without renouncing all other saviors. No one will enter the kingdom without coming through the door of Jesus. No one will enter the kingdom without a supernatural regeneration of the heart by the spirit that turns our attention to Jesus and draws us through the door. No one will enter the kingdom without acknowledging My heart is evil. In spite of the best day of my life, on that day, the best performance was motivated by an evil heart. And that's what turns our attention to the need for a savior. But not only do we make the door no wider than it actually is, we can make the door no narrower than it is. And a lot of people try to do that. Do you understand that all Faith systems make exclusive claims to truth. Uh, all Everybody has a set of exclusive beliefs. Here's the question we need to ask. Which set of beliefs leads to the most inclusive, loving, compassionate people? Notice down here in verse 29. It says, and people will come. Isn't that great news? There's people who will come through the door. And where do they come from? Notice, they come from everywhere. They come from the east. Some of you have an east coast bias. Some of you don't like those people on the east coast because they're snooty and rich, right? Some of you have a west coast bias because they're, they're like liberal and progressive. Some of you people, you have a, a northern bias, and you, you you don't like people that like things warm and that's the people from the south. And so you know, all of us kind of have this, we, we want to exclude people that are not like us, right? But Jesus is not like that. He says, this door is open. People can come from the east, from the west, from the north and the south and notice what they do when they come through the door. They recline at table. Do you, do you see the metaphors? We have a house, we have a door, and we have a table. The only access to the table is through the door. One door. What do you do at the table? It's not just a place where you feed your face. It's a place where you experience family. It's a place where you have relationship. You experience love and camaraderie and you go the distance with one another. And that's what we who are saved do at the table every day. When we think about being saved, don't think about it being something that happened when you were seven years old and it was this one-time experience and, and that's in the past. Now listen, those of us that are saved are being saved. Those of us who are saved and are being saved will be saved. And so we come daily and have access at the table to fellowship with Jesus. Every time we come to the table, we come through the door again to gain access to the thing that our hearts were created for. And that invitation is open to all who will believe. We come, we recline at table in the kingdom of God and behold, some are last who will be first and some who are first, who will be last. What's he talking about? Do you know why a few people are saved? Because few people are willing to be last. They wanna promote themselves. They wanna be at the head of the line. They they want to accomplish big things and they want to, to push themselves to the front based on their works and their achievements. And Jesus says, those people that had the greatest access to scripture, those people that heard me teach in the streets, those people that lived in Jerusalem where Jesus walked and taught, those people are gonna be last because they didn't come humbly. And those of us who are outsiders, I mean, we, don't, we live in the wrong century, we, we live in the wrong part of the world, and yet we have access because Jesus is drawing, he's including so many people that otherwise who would not have access. So which set of exclusive beliefs creates the most inclusive people? It's Christians, it's gospel people. The gospel doesn't exclude anyone based on their ethnicity or their gender or their age or their marital status or their economic status or their education level or their religious background or their moral past. The gospel welcomes all those who will come. It, it, it creates the most ethnically diverse people on the planet it creates the most multicultural community in the world. The gospel has no geopolitical boundaries. It's not for people in the West. It's not for people in the East. It's not for people in the North. It's not people in the South. It's for everybody who will come through the door. J.D. Greer's a, a former missionary and he says this, Islam is predominantly Arab and to become a Muslim, you basically have to become culturally Arab. Buddhism is predominantly Arab. East Asia, Hinduism is still predominantly South Asia, but Christians are now evenly split between Europe and North America and Latin America and Asia and Africa. And it is growing uh, the fastest outside of Western places of power. Do you know what that gives us evidence of? You don't have to become anything culturally. You just have to come through the door. You just have to believe Jesus is the only way. Listen, it should not shock us that the door is narrow. It should shock us that there is a door that exists at all. For people like us whose hearts are evil, God gives us access into his presence to recline at table. And it's not going to be a small number. I know it says a few, but listen, there's going to be some. And do you know how many the some are? A great multitude. Do you know why? I know that. Because Revelation chapter seven, the apostle John got a little glimpse into heaven in the future, and this is what he wrote. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Does that sound like a large number to you? Or, I mean, you have to take off your shoes to count that number, you know? (laughs) A large number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you understand? Those who are saved, the work of salvation belongs to God the, the door of salvation is opened from the inside, not kicked in from the outside. And the only way to come out of the crowd and into the kingdom is through the open door that Jesus provides for all those who will understand their evil hearts and come to him to be saved. Look at verse 31. And at the very same hour, Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. You see, what happened was, there were these gentle, kind, loving Pharisees that loved Jesus so much. They cared about his safety so much that they went and warned him that mean old King Herod, this was Herod Antipas, he was one of four sons of Herod the Great, and and he kind of divided up the kingdom. and, And Herod... He was a mean guy. He didn't like Jesus. He didn't like anyone who threatened his kingdom. Well, Jesus' teaching about a kingdom was threatening his own kingdom. And so these really loving Pharisees came by and wanted to help Jesus survive not be being killed because they knew how offensive this message was to Herod. Because Herod's not coming through the door. And so this is really offensive, right? How many of you really believe the Pharisees were really concerned about Jesus' life? No. No, they, if, their motto was, if Herod didn't kill him, we will. And they worked together actually to make that happen later in the story, right? So they, they warn him and they said, like, hey, um, Jesus, you, you might wanna divert your path. You don't come to Jerusalem. It's not gonna go well for you here. what Jesus say, verse 32? And he said to them, go and tell that fox You see, Fox News is not a recent invention. Fox News was doing then what it does now. It's reporting on all the political drama, right? And by the way, are we really going into another election year? I mean, do do we have to do this every four years? Really, do we have to do this? But listen, if you are more tuned into Fox News than the good news, you, you, your, your life is way too stressful, okay? Our hope of salvation is not in which fox sits in the White House, okay? And every four years, we get to exchange foxes, right? Listen, our, our, you know what Jesus says to him? Look at what he says. He says, you go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons. So, so what are you gonna do? You've been casting any demons out lately? Uh, I cast out demons and perform cures today. You healed anybody lately? And I'll do do that tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my course. You are not going to distract me. And do you know what I'm going to do on the third day after I get to Jerusalem? I'm rising from the dead. And he says in verse 33, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day. And it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Listen, if you are a kingdom of the citizen of God, do not get distracted by noise from foxes. Do not be intimidated by their threats to harm you or ridicule you or marginalize you. Jesus is alive. And Jesus understands there's not a fox that can threaten the lion of Judah. He is on the throne. He is in complete control. He's not stressed out about anything. He hasn't lost an ounce of his power. And he has a mighty roar. He is not only a lamb that sits on the throne, he is a lion who is the king of the jungle. So there is a door for all those that want access to this lion, but few are willing to come through the door while it's still open. Look at verse 34. Actually verse, yeah, verse 34. He says, oh, Jerusalem. Don't miss the O." It reveals the heart of compassion for Jesus. There was an ache in his soul for people that had the greatest access to the good news, that they would be diverted and distracted from the message that Jesus was preaching. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent Do you understand this is the message of Christmas? Michelle mentioned it earlier. Jesus wasn't just born. Jesus was sent. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus existed long before the manger in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And God, the Father, sent Jesus out of the kingdom through the door into the crowd so that the people in the crowd could come through the door into the kingdom. And yet the prophets were never heard. They weren't believed and they killed the prophets. Jesus goes on at the end of verse 34 and he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Why are so few saved? Because so few are willing to come through the door while it's still open. The door is narrow. The door is exclusive, but the door is open. For all who sense their need to be saved. So, do you see how these exclusive claims of Jesus create the most inclusive people? Jesus loved people that hated him, and he created a people who love people who hate Jesus. People that follow Jesus look for ways to gather as many people as possible and point them to the door so they can have access to everything they were created to experience. Moralistic people are not like that. Religious people are not like that. Moralistic people exclude people who don't believe exactly like they believe and don't behave exactly like they behave. Secular people marginalize, ridicule, and exclude those who follow Jesus. And yet gospel people, do you know what they do? They gather all who are willing to believe. No matter how old, young, rich, poor, black, white, and say, we got to get through this door. Come with me. Be a part of the kingdom. Jesus went to that cross in Jerusalem because there was no other way to come out of the crowd and into the kingdom. Think about it. If there was any other way for you to be saved, why would Jesus have endured the torture on the cross? Because he knew it is the only way for guilty sinners to come out of the crowd, through the door, into the kingdom. Don't get distracted, but I want you to stand with me right now. Ask you the most important question Are you saved? He's like, I hope so. I know, so. Uh, maybe. Listen, you can know it for sure. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to acknowledge I can't save myself. There are no other saviors that can bring me security, significance, satisfaction. There's no other remedies for sin. And for those of us that would acknowledge, yes, I'm saved. I remember it happened 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 6 months ago. Are you living in awe and the wonder at that, that you can keep coming to recline at table, to fellowship, to grow, to feast, to celebrate the Savior who was sent through the door into the crowd so you could come out of the crowd into the kingdom? It's something we do daily as an act of worship. I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. That powerful metaphor of a door was meant to create urgency, immediacy, decisiveness, strive, agonize to enter through the narrow door. While it's still open, one day that door will be shut. Question, if it was shut today, which side of that door would you be standing on? Would you be shut into the kingdom or would you be shut out of the kingdom? If there's any anxiety at all that you would be shut out, why don't you cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. Right now, my heart is evil. Even my best day was corrupted with evil thoughts. My sin is so offensive to you. Thank you that you've created a door for me to walk through. And by faith right now, I choose that door. I trust you. Thank you for the work on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Open your heart up to him. Let this be the day that you walk through the door. Each time at the end of the service, there's pastors and elders and their wives and friends, counselors. These men and women are here to to welcome you into the kingdom. There's nothing magical that happens down here but we have a new believers kit. We'd love to give to you. We'd love to to welcome you. We'd love to pray with you to seal that decision in your heart. So I'm gonna pray here in just a moment. We're gonna sing. And at the end of the service, if you need to come, and maybe by coming, that is your act of faith as you walk through the door, out of the crowd, into the kingdom. Let this be the day so that you can walk out of here with absolutely no doubt that you are saved. Jesus, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of a powerful, simple metaphor. I pray that your spirit would draw, pray that your spirit would break down defenses pray that your spirit would transform us into inclusive people even while we cling to the exclusivity of Christ as the only way to salvation don't allow us to be distracted by the noise the news give us a passionate radiant heart to gather as many people as possible Point them to the door. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.